0: Chapter 2 of Gone to Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gone to Earth by Mary Webb. Chapter 2 At six the next morning, they had breakfast. Abel was busy making a hive for the next summer's swarm. When he made a coffin, he always used up the bits thus. A large coffin did not leave very much, but sometimes there were small ones, and then he made splendid hives. The white township on the south side of the lilac hedge increased as slowly and unceasingly as the green township around the distant churchyard. In summer the garden was loud with bees, and the cottage was full of them at swarming time later it was littered with honey sections honey dripped from the table and pieces of broken comb lay on the floor and were contentedly eaten by foxy whenever an order for a coffin came hazel went to tell the bees who was dead her father thought this unnecessary it was only for folks that died in the house he said but he had himself told the bees when his wife died he had gone out on that vivid June morning to his hives and had stood watching the lines of bees fetching water, their shadows going and coming on the clean white boards. Then he had stooped and said with a curious confidential indifference, "Marais dead." He had put his ear to the hive and listened to the deep solemn murmur within, but it was the murmur of the future and not of the past, the preoccupation with life, not with death that filled the pale galleries within to-day the eighteen hives lay under their winter covering and the eager creatures within slept only one or two strayed sometimes to the early arabies desultory and sad driven home again by the frosty air to await the purple times of honey The happiest days of Abel's life were those when he sat like a bard before the seething hives and harped to the muffled roar of sound that came from within. All his means of livelihood were joys to him. He had the art of perpetual happiness in this, that he could earn as much as he needed by doing the work he loved. He played at flower shows and country dances, revivals and weddings. He sold his honey, and sometimes his bees. He delighted in wreath-making, gardening, and carpentering, and always in the background was his music, some new air to try on the gilded harp, some new chord or turn to master. The garden was almost big enough and quite beautiful enough for that of a mansion in the summer white lilies haunted it standing out in the dusk with their demure cajolery looking as hazel said like ghosts goldenrod foamed round the cottage deeply embowering it and lavender made a grey mist beside the red quarries of the path then hazel sat like a queen in a regalia of flowers eating the piece of bread and honey that made her dinner and covering her face with lily pollen Now there were no flowers in the garden, only the yew tree by the gate that hung her waxen blossom along the undersides of the branches. Hazel hated the look of the frozen garden. She had an almost unnaturally intense craving for everything rich, vivid and vital. She was all these things herself, as she communed with Foxy before starting she had wound her hair round her head in a large plait and her old black hat made the colour richer you'm nigh on thirty miles to go there and back unless you get a lift said abel a lift i dunna want no lifts said hazel scornfully you'm as good a walker as john of no man's parish replied abel and he walks for ever so they do say As Hazel set forth in the sharp fresh morning, the callow shone with radiant brown and silver, and no presage moved within it of the snow that would hurtle upon it from the mountains of cloud all night. When Hazel had chosen her dress, a peacock blue serge, and had put it on there and then in the back of the shop, curtained off for this purpose, she went to her aunt's. Her cousin Albert regarded her with a startled look. He was in a margarine shop and spent his days explaining that margarine was as good as butter. But looking at Hazel, he felt there was butter, something that needed no apology and created its own demand. The bright blue made her so radiant that her aunt shook her head. You take after your ma, Hazel, she said. Her tone was irritated. I'd be glad, her aunt sniffed. "'You ought to be as glad to take after one parent as another if you were dutiful,' she said. "'I do want to take after anybody but myself,' Hazel flushed indignantly. "'Well, we are conceited,' exclaimed her aunt. "'Albert, don't give Hazel all the liver and bacon. "'I suppose your mother can eat as well as schoolgirls.' Albert was gazing at Hazel so animatedly, so obviously approving of all she said that her aunt was very much ruffled no wonder you only want to be like yourself he said jam my word hazel you're jam albert cried his mother raspingly with a pathetic note of pleading haven't i always taught you to say preserve she was not pleading against the inelegant word but against hazel When Albert went back to the shop, Hazel helped her aunt to wash up. All the time she was doing this with unusual care and cleaning the knives, a thing she hated, she was waiting anxiously for the expected invitation to stay the night. She longed for it, as the righteous long for the damnation of their enemies. She never paid a visit except here, and to her it was a wild excitement. The gas stove, the pretty china, the rose-patterned wallpaper, were all strange and marvellous as a fairy tale at home. There was no paper, no lath and plaster, only the bare bricks, and the ceiling was of bulging sailcloth hung under the rafters. Now, to all these was added the new delight of Albert's admiring gaze, an alert, live gaze, a thing hitherto unknown to Albert. Perhaps if she stayed, Albert would take her out for the evening. She would see the streets of the town in the magic of lights. She would walk out in her new dress with a real young man, a young man who possessed a gilt watch chain. The suspense as the wintry afternoon grew in became almost intolerable. Still her aunt did not speak. The sitting room looked so cosy when tea was laid. The firelight played over the cups. Her aunt drew the curtains on one side there was joy warmth all that she could desire on the other a forlorn walk in the dark she had left it until so late that her heart shook at the idea of the many miles she must cover alone if her aunt did not ask her her aunt knew what was going on in hazel's mind and smiled grimly at hazel's unusual meekness she took the opportunity of administering a few home truths. "'You look like an actress,' she said. "'Do I, Auntie? "'Yes, it's a disgrace the way you look. You quite draw men's eyes.' "'It's nice to draw men's eyes in it, Auntie. "'Nice? Hazel, I should like to box your ears, you naughty girl. You'll go wrong one of these days.' "'What for, will I, Auntie?" some day you'll get spoke to she said the last words in a hollow whisper and after that as you won't say and do what a good girl would you'll get picked up i'd like to see anyone pick me up said hazel indignantly i'd kick oh how unladylike i didn't mean really picked up i meant allegorically like in the bible oh Only like in the Bible said Hazel disappointedly. I thought you meant summat real. Oh, you'll bring down my grey hairs, wailed Mrs Proud. An actress was bad, but an infidel. That I should live to hear it in my own villa with my own soda-cake on the cake-dish and my own son, she added dramatically as Albert entered. "'coming in to have his God-fearing heart broken.' "'This embarrassed Albert, for it was true, "'though the cause assigned was not. "'What's Hazel been up to?' he queried. "'The affection beneath his heavy pleasantry "'strengthened his mother in her resolve "'that Hazel should not stay the night. "'There's a magic lantern lecture on tonight, Hazel,' he said. "'Like to come?' "'Ah, you should that!' "'You can't walk home at that time of night,' said Mrs. Proud. "'In fact, you ought to start now.' "'But Hazel's staying the night, Mother, surely?' "'Hazel must get back to her father.' "'But, Mother, there's the spare room. "'The spare room's being spring-cleaned.' "'Albert plunged. "'He was desperate and forgetful of propriety. "'I can sleep on this sofa,' he said. "'She can have my room.' "'Hazel can't have your room. It's not suitable.' "'Well, let her share yours, then.' Mrs. Proud played her trump card. "'Little I thought,' she said, "'when your dear father went, "'that before three years had passed "'you'd be so forgetful of my comfort and his memory "'as to suggest such a thing. "'As long as I live, my room's mine. "'When I'm gone,' she concluded, knocking down her adversary with her superior weight of years. When I'm gone, and the sooner the better for you, no doubt, you can put her in my room and yourself too. When she'd said this, she was horrified at herself. What an improper thing to say! Even anger and jealousy did not excuse impropriety, though they excused any amount of unkindness. But at this Hazel cried out in her turn, That he never will! The fierce egoism of the consciously weak flamed up in her. "'I keep myself to myself,' she finished. "'If such things come to pass, mother,' Albert said, and his eyes looked suddenly vivid, so that Hazel clapped her hands and said, "'Your lamps are lit! Your lamps are lit!' and broke into peals of laughter. "'If such a thing comes to pass,' laboured Albert, "'they'll come decent.' That is, they won't be spoken of. He voiced his own and his mother's creed. At this point the argument ended because Albert had to go back after tea to finish some work. As he stamped innumerable swans on the yielding material, he never doubted that his mother had also yielded. He forgot that life had to be shaped with an axe till the chips fly. As soon as he had gone, Mrs. Proud shut the door on Hazel hastily for fear the weather might bring relenting. She had other views for Albert. In after years when the consequences of her action had become things of the past, she always spoke of how she had done her best with Hazel. She never dreamed that she, by her selfishness that night, had herself set Hazel's feet in the dark and winding path that she must tread from that night onward its hidden, shadowy ending. Mrs. Proud, through her many contented years, blamed in turn Hazel, Abel, Albert, the Devil, and only tacitly and, as it were, in secret from herself, God. If there is any purgatorial fire of remorse for the hard and selfish natures that crucify love, it must burn elsewhere. It does not touch them in this world, they go as the three children went, in their coats, their hazen, and their hats, all complete. Nor does the smell of fire pass over them. Hazel felt that heaven was closed, locked and barred. She could see the golden light streaming through its gates. She could hear the songs of joy, joy unattained and therefore immortal. She could see the bright figures of her dreams go to and fro. But heaven was shut. The wind ran up and down the narrow streets like a lost dog whimpering. Hazel hurried on, for it was already twilight, and though she was not afraid of the callow and the fields at night, she was afraid of the high roads. For the callow was home, but the roads were the wide world. On the fringe of the town she saw lights in the bedroom windows of prosperous houses. My, they go to their beds early, she thought, not having heard of dressing for dinner it made her feel more lonely that people should be going to bed from other houses music floated or the savoury smell of dinner as she passed the last lamp-post she began to cry feeling like a lost and helpless little animal her new dress was forgotten the wreath frames would not fit under her arm and caused a continual minor discomfort and the callow seemed to be half across the country she heard a trapped rabbit screaming somewhere a thin anguished cry that she could not ignore this delayed her a good deal and in letting it out she got a large blood-stain on her dress she cried again at this the pain of a blister unnoticed in the morning journey now made itself felt she tried walking without her boots but the ground was cold and hard The icy, driving wind leapt across the plain like a horseman with a long sword, and stealthily in its track came the melancholy whisper of snow. When this began, Hazel was in the open, halfway to Wolf Thatch. She sat down on the step of a stile and sighed with relief at the ease it gave her foot. Then, far off, she heard the sharp, miniature sound, very neat and staccato, of a horse galloping. She held her breath to hear if it would turn down a by-road, but it came on. It came on and grew in volume and in meaning, became almost ominous in the frozen silence. Hazel rose and stood in the fitful moonlight. She felt that the approaching hoofbeats were for her. They were the one sound in a dead world, and she nearly cried out at the thought of their dying in the distance. They must not, they should not. "'Maybe it's a farmer and his missus, as have drove a good bargain, "'and the girl told to get supper fire-hot again they come. "'Maybe they'll give me a lift. "'Maybe they'll say, Bide the night over.' "'She knew it was only a foolish dream. "'Nevertheless, she stood well in the light, "'a slim, brow-beaten figure, the colour of her dress "'wan in the grey world. "'A trap came swaying round the corner. "'Hazel cried out beseechingly, and the driver pulled the horse up short.' I must be blind drunk, he soliloquized, seeing ghosts. Oh, please, sir, Hazel could say no more for the tears that companionship unfroze. The man peered at her. What in hell are you doing here? he asked. Walking home along, she wouldn't let me bide the night over and my foot's blistered in a balloon and blood on my dress. She choked with sobs. What's your name? Hazel. "'What else?' With an instinct of self-protection, she refused to tell her surname. "'Well, mine's Redden,' he said crossly. "'And why you're so dark about yours, I don't know. But up you get, anyway.' The sun came out in Hazel's face. He helped her up. She was so stiff with cold. "'Your arm,' she said in a low, tremulous voice when he had put the rug round her, "'your arm pulling me in be like the Sunday school tale of Jesus Christ and Peter on the wild sea, "'me being Peter.' Reddin looked at her sideways to see if she was in earnest. Seeing that she was, he changed the subject. "'Far to go?' he asked. "'Ah, miles on miles. "'Like to stop the night over.' At last, late certainly, but no matter, at last the invitation had come, not from her aunt, but from a stranger. That made it more exciting. "'I'm much obliged,' she said. "'Where at?' "'Do you know Undern?' "'I've heard tell on it.' "'Well, it's two miles from here. Like to come?' "'Ah! Will your mother be angry?' "'I haven't one.' "'Father?' "'No.' "'Who be there, then?' "'Only Vessons and me.' "'Who's Vessons?' "'My servant.' "'Be you a gentleman, then?' Reddin hesitated slightly. She said it was such reverence and made it seem so great a thing. "'Yes,' he said at last. "'Yes, that's what I am, a gentleman.' He was conscious of bravado. "'Will there be supper, fire-hot?' "'Yes, if Vesson's is in a good temper.' "'Where you been?' she asked next. "'Market.' "'You've had about as much as is good for you,' she remarked, as if thinking aloud. He certainly smelt strongly of whisky. "'You've got a cheek,' said he. "'Let's look at you.' He stared into her tired but vivid eyes for a long time, and the trap careered from side to side. "'My word,' he said, "'I'm in luck to-night.' For be you meeting a girl like you? Do I draw men's eyes? Eh? He was startled, then he guffawed. Yes, he replied. She said so, Hazel murmured, and she said I'd get spoke to, and she said I'd get puck up. I'm main glad of it too, she's a witch. She said you'd get picked up, did she? Ah reddin put his arm round her you're so pretty that's why then em all me you might be civil i'm doing you a kindness they went on in that fashion his arm about her each wondering what manner of companion the other was when they neared undern there were gates to open and he admired her litheness as she jumped in and out In his pastures, where the deeply rutted track was already white with snow, two foals stood sadly by their mothers, gazing at the cold world with their peculiarly disconsolate eyes. Eh, look's the auburn one! Auburn, like me! cried Hazel. Reddin suddenly gripped the long coils that were loose on her shoulders, twisted them in a rope around his neck, and kissed her. She was enmeshed and could not avoid his kisses. The cob took this opportunity, one long desired, to rear, and Reddin flogged him the rest of the way. So they arrived with a clatter, and were met at the door by Andrew Vessens, knowing of eye as a blackbird, straw in mouth, the poison of asps on his tongue. End of chapter two. Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK.